We're all doomed is the lead phrase of the website waitingforison.com, a website that's getting a lot of attention right now. It's about the comet, ISON. Has anybody been out to see that? I I tried to look this morning to see if I could see it, and it uh, is too cloudy out there. But if you go out about an hour before sunrise in the next few mornings, it's supposed to be visible. And uh, if you go to this site, you'll learn all about it. Don't go to it now, but if you were to go to it, you can see that its owner doesn't really believe ISON is bringing the end of the world. In fact, I believe there is a a photo here of the owner. (laughs) And uh, I don't think he really wants us to take it too seriously. He does, however, note the people in the groups out there who do think The appearance of the comet is a sign of the end of the world, and he effectively pokes fun at their doomsday behavior. And there are some. I've heard some of them on the news, and uh, they've been interviewed in different places, who truly believe that this comet is the uh, sign of the end of the world. And this is nothing new. But what, though, if he is wrong, and they are right about the end of the world? Have you ever wondered about that? Some of these doomsday sayers, like the guy several years ago who put up billboards all over L.A. saying it was going to be the end of the world, and his church sold all their stuff and you know stood outside waiting and waiting at the exact time that it was supposed to happen. What happens if they're right? Don't we all worry just a bit about the end of the world when we see calamities and wars and disasters and diseases of biblical proportions. As Sabra was reading that text, and I forgot that we had added ten more verses to the reading uh, than than what would be in the lectionary for this week, but I, I wanted those in there because it goes into even more detail about this apocalyptic event that was to come. And as you hear that, you begin to think, wow, it's talking about the seas and the oceans and It talks about all these disasters and things happening and what have we had in the past week. Well, we've had things happening in the seas and the oceans and we've had nations who have spoken against other nations and terrible things that have gone on. It's quite relevant. Our gospel text this morning reminds us that our interpretation of events and our anxiety about the end of the world are nothing new. The people of Jesus' time did this as well. And here in this Gospel of Luke, in chapter 21, which is really taken from Mark's 13th chapter. We believe Luke received this from from Mark, and he is writing from Mark. Uh, Jesus, in this text, gave them some descriptions of a doomsday to come. But he provided them with a reason and a way to endure the things that were about to happen. So this graphic description that Jesus gave his crowd that day at the temple, it still causes anxiety and it gets plenty of attention. It's not just the dispensational end timers like Tim LaHaye. How many of y'all have read like all 15 volumes of how the world is going to end? If you go to any used bookstore, you'll find them in volume. And they're good. They're fun to read. Or John Hagee 
who gives these words attention. I don't know if you've seen him, if, if you've been flipping through the channels and uh, the, the uh, I was going to say recreational, uh, the uh, tele-evangelists on TV, but you can see sometimes they have these charts all behind them. And they're kind of funny to look at. You can see how all these different things are going to happen and the Russian helicopters that are coming in and all of these things that are the locusts, that are the Russian helicopters, that, that spell out how the end is going to happen. They give these words a lot of attention. And we all do in some way or another as well, don't we? Again, when typhoons and earthquakes and mudslides and certainly 9-11 as that took place and as nuclear tests continue to go on as Israel and Iran and Syria and others continue to talk about the presence of uh, uranium and, and uh, nuclear devices. <clears throat> and here we hear these words again from Jesus and we can just imagine how these apocalyptic words were heard by the original audience, by those standing around Jesus as he was telling about all of this. As someone as authoritative and charismatic as Jesus was, as he was saying these things to them. I mean, they had every reason to take him seriously about everything else that he had said. And it had come true. Even his opponents had to concede that what he was saying and what he had done uh, was ringing true. We have evidence that people within different Religious sects of Jesus' own religion, they were paying attention to what he was saying. They were sneaking out in the middle of the night to go and have conversation with Jesus because something he was saying was ringing true with them. And what they are hearing from him, who was leading them and, and showed that he knew the way ahead for them, was that a doomsday was coming. Something terrible was about to happen. Here again, his words, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you. They'll persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors because of my name. These are not the words of an effective recruiter seeking followers for a cause. I mean, if I had said that as we were starting the church, that when you show up, we're going to get beaten and uh, we're going to get arrested and people are going to like make these crosses and put us on them and you're going to have your tongue cut out, it's going to be great. They're not the words of an effective recruiter. They are words intended to clarify for Jesus' disciples and for His critics that there would be difficult days ahead for them. If you followed Him, you would be treated in the same way that He was and soon would be treated as He is on His way to Jerusalem. If you opposed Him and what God was doing in and through Him in the world, then you would have difficult days as well, all at the hands of the Roman government. Jesus clarified that bad days were inevitable, even for Him even for the Son of God. As Luke wrote this gospel in probably somewhere between 75 and 80 A.D., this would be about 10 years after the doomsday Jesus predicted had already happened. His readers were still struggling with the fallout of it as their families were divided, as they were imprisoned, and as they were executed. The temple, the, the place where they would go and meet with God, this beautiful temple that is described here 
by Jesus in this Gospel of Luke has been torn down. Just as Jesus said, the the walls collapsed, the stones came down, the Romans torched it and burned it down. This precious place of theirs where they would go to worship their God was gone. And all this violence had taken place as Rome was officially sacked and finally done with in 70 A.D. And so they are struggling with all of this. They are the ones enduring in their faith. They are facing the consequences of being associated with Jesus. And Luke shared Jesus' words with them that they might know that such days weren't out of the norm when God's kingdom collided with the kingdom of the world. The Roman system had collided with God's system. And Jesus is describing what that is going to be like and they see now what it was like. I couldn't help but hear the Shirelles song. Mama said there'd be days like this in my head after reading this several times this week. You know, it's one of those earworms that gets inside of your head. Mama said there'd be days like this, Mama said. Mama was right. And so was Jesus. Jesus said there'd be days like this. And there were. And there are. There still are. We need to hear the same thing today. To understand that being a follower of Jesus doesn't give us an exemption from difficult days. Just because you belong to Jesus and the church doesn't mean that your world doesn't come tumbling down in a pile of rubble. Right? Just because you do selfless good works, you love your neighbor, and you honor God in all things, doesn't mean that you will escape suffering in this world. Anybody who tells you differently has no idea what they're talking about. And certainly has no idea what Jesus was saying to us. In case we are convinced by others or ourselves that the Christian life is one of prosperity and comfort, let us hear from Jesus today that this is not true. One of my favorite reality shows right now is Preachers of L.A. Because I want a Bentley for myself. Right? Monica's going to help me with this. And uh, it, it may not be in the church budget, but it should be. The pastor should be prosperous. And you too. But if, if we are convinced that that is the way the Christian life is, then we are misled. If we think it is always to be about comfort, then we're missing the point. Let us hear from Jesus today that this is not true. Let us see in Jesus that this was not true even for Him. As He was arrested, as He was tortured, as He was framed, as He was ultimately crucified, He endured through it all. Knowing that He did and that doomsdays are inevitable, This can help us endure them as well. Knowing that they are coming and knowing to be ready, it just helps. Jesus didn't leave the crowd with the gory details of what would happen. He just didn't leave them with that. But He provided them with something that they could cling to in their darkest days. He assured them that as much as He must have been assuring Himself that God would be with them. He said, I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. And he says, and not a hair of your head will perish. 
He said these things to give them something to remember in their time of trial. We can look throughout Acts, and of course Luke wrote Acts as well, and we can see how this came true for followers like Peter. Remember Peter who had turned his back on Jesus and rejected Jesus and told everybody he had no idea who this guy was? He stands up after he witnesses the resurrection of Christ and after he is reinstated to ministry and he proclaims very boldly in the streets of Jerusalem that Jesus is indeed alive. We understand based on tradition that Peter himself was crucified, allowing himself to be crucified upside down so that he would, be, he would stand out from the way Jesus was crucified, not being worthy to be in the same way. We know that Stephen was one who stood up with boldness and assurance, and he was willing to give his life for the cause of Christ. But even in the midst of his stoning, he found God's presence with him. He was able to look up, and those around him were able to see something different was going on inside of Stephen. There was an assurance that was there. And we know that Paul and others, they were able to sense that God was with them, and God gave them the words as they spoke out. And proclaim boldly the good news of Christ. God gave them what they needed to operate as the body of Christ in the world. Even in the worst of circumstances. William Barclay in his Gospel of Luke. Describes the quality of life for those who endure suffering with Christ. It is the sheer evidence of history. That the great Christians have written over and over again. When their bodies were in torture. And when they were awaiting death of sweet times with Christ. A prison can be like a palace, a scaffold like a throne, the storms of life like summer, when Christ is with us. That's how God can come and be with us, even in the midst of our darkest times. And I wonder, have you experienced that kind of assurance when your world is crumbling? I think we all know what that feels like, don't we? Maybe even today you could describe what that's like. Maybe there are walls and things that are falling apart in your life right now. Jesus has made clear that we can, that we can know, that we have something we can take with us in our darkest days. First, you can know that you have God's wisdom and words with you. God provides for you the wisdom of Jesus in handling those tumbling walls and the persecution and the discouragement in the disappointment and in the pain. He gives you words to say when people oppose you for following His ways. When you are left speechless by the way you or someone else is being treated. Second, you can take with you His protection. Even though your body may be harmed and you, like so many of the early disciples, You may not escape physical death, but no one can touch your life. That part of you that endures, that part of you that shall endure unscathed. There's a great movie about Nelson Mandela that is coming out. I can't wait to see it. They showed a little clip of it last night about Mandela standing up in front of the court. You can see all of them there and he's talking about freedom and talking about the things that must happen in their nation. And he says, I'm willing to even die for it. And we know that he was willing to be imprisoned and put away. And yet he did so unscathed. 
Well, this leads us to the last word of this apocalyptic message. Jesus told his followers that by your endurance, you will gain your souls. What in the world does that mean? They would find and experience real life if they endured on through the doom around them. Just on the other side of doom was justice. Just on the other side of doom was righteousness. Just on the other side was God's kingdom. Just on the other side was peace. And just on the other side was a new heaven and a new earth. And as Kyle read that passage and described it, it is such a a beautiful reality. And as we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Aren't we praying for that new reality to come into this world? That's what it's all about. That's what Jesus had in mind. Here Jesus presented the great reversal that Lucas highlighted throughout his gospel. Those who die to themselves and live for Jesus receive true life. What a positive truth to know when your world is tumbling all around you. There is something on the other side. As you go through the difficulty, you are not losing, but gaining. You are winning, even if the scoreboard says otherwise. What you can know as you, like Luke's readers, as you look back upon the death of Jesus, is to see not His death, but His resurrection. Yes, there is still persecution. There is suffering and even death. But there is also life. Life. Your real life cannot be snuffed out by what you're going through. As someone once told me, they can't eat you. Well, in places like New Guinea, they can eat you. And they will eat you. So maybe that's not true, but your real life cannot be snuffed out. And as you endure, your life endures and shines brighter than any day of doom. The hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, was written by Martin Luther in 1527, just about ten years after his posting of the 95 Theses on the door at Wittenberg. And as his actions created what we would refer to as the Protestant Reformation. As he reflected on all that happened in those ten years, and to the personal struggles he was facing, even dealing with depression and dealing with very dark, doomy, days in his own life. As he reflected, he wrote what, was, what is one of the most profound and helpful hymns of all time. And I close today with a few lines from it. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The Prince of Darkness grim We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Doomed? Are we doomed? No. God has indeed willed his triumph through us, through you, and through me. May you exit into your week with this same great affirmation. Let us pray. Our God, and this powerful truth that you have given to us through these words of Jesus, that you are with us.